I try and remember that everybody has their own stories that they like. Everybody has their own, everybody's sort of at a different place in their journey. And so I try not to take it personally. And I think that's, that's what's kind of helped me through the years to get, to get beyond that concern about criticism is, is just to realize that the story that I'm writing is not me. So just because someone didn't like the story doesn't mean that they don't like me or they're angry at me. Maybe they don't like me. Maybe they are angry at me, but, but I don't have to always assume that that's the case, you know. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me today because in this episode, we hear from the author of several books, including uh, co-writing credits and ghostwriting on dozens of books before he got into his own writing. It's just amazing. Great, a great journey there. Uh, his books right now include you know, My Amish Roots, uh, Building a Life Out of Words, which is the book that uh, I reckon, remember him from, which I started to, to learn who he was. Uh, his most recent release uh, just published last year, and the sequel's coming out later this year. You'll hear about that. But this new release is called The Day the Angels Fell. Uh, he's a husband, he's a dad to six children, and a guy that I met through Twitter. Yes, Twitter in the golden age of Twitter, uh, when you can actually connect with people, just broadcast. Uh, today, Sean Smucker shares with the Storytellers Network his storytelling graft, his successes, his obstacles, in other words, his story. Before we get into today's conversation, just a reminder, find us online at thestorytellersnetwork.com for more episodes, how to contact us, and for other resources to help you tell your story better. If you like what we're doing here, please leave us a review. It does help us reach new storytellers. Maybe in season two, I'll start reading some of those off. Uh, Thank you to Podcast Pilot and Casterly for supporting this movement and this podcast. If you want experts on the whole podcast world, like maybe how to start your own show, Talk to the teams headed up by the amazing Jamie J and Sarah Parrish. Now, let's get to the stories. Thanks for joining me, Sean. Uh, we, we kind of met through Twitter. Uh, <laughs> so it's cool meeting face-to-face, as it were. Uh, so thanks yeah, for being on the Storytellers Network, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, so you're, you've been a writer for quite a while. You have lots of books out, as I mentioned, uh, and, and many uh, co-writing credits as well. You can... You can write kind of from anywhere. And that's where I like to start. Um, you know, so often we think about the big industries. You have to be in a certain city or a certain area or a certain country for fashion. Maybe you have to be in France or whatever. But for storytellers, we can be anywhere. So where are you geographically? So I live in Lancaster, uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we actually live in a small city. There's about sixty or 70,000 people here. So it's a, we love the city. We love our neighbors. We love the community. And uh, we've been here for about four years. Right on. Uh, and you've kind of been around too, right? I mean, so you've been there for about four years. You've been writing longer than that, I would guess. Yeah. So I started writing full-time about 10 years, uh, eight or nine years ago. And at that point, we lived in Virginia, in Leesburg, Virginia. 
but my wife and I have lived in Jacksonville, Florida. We lived in England for four years. Uh, then we were in Virginia, and that's when I started writing. And have, and have you always considered yourself a storyteller? Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, when I was young, it was more about reading, consuming stories. That was kind of my obsession. I, I read anything I could get my hands on. And as I got older, I started to, especially in college, I think I started to have this desire to, to, to do that, to, to create the kinds of stories that, that I found that were moving me, that were inspiring me. So yeah, probably late teens, early twenties is really when I started focusing on writing. And do you remember kind of one of the first things that you wrote or that gave you that feeling of, uh, I think I could do this. Yeah, it was, uh, I was a freshman in college going through kind of, uh, the typical 18 year old angst, I guess. And I think I experienced maybe a small bout of depression that year. I mean, it was towards the end of the year, I was really questioning my direction in life. And I found a lot of comfort in my writing at that time. And I started writing a story that, you know, I'm sure I'd be horrified if I found it now. I think I put it, I remember the notebook that I was writing in. And I think I may have seen that notebook in the last five or six years somewhere in storage, but it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't good. It, w- it wouldn't have interested anyone. But for me, it was, it, there was something powerful about learning how to uh, take what was inside of me and, and try to put it into a story um, on the outside. So that was, that was kind of my first foray into it, I think. And was that first foray, uh, short story, novel, poetry, songwriting, just words? What would you, how did that start for you? It, it started out as poetry, but then kind of morphed into a story. Very cool. And, and, you know, I mean, honestly, any poetry can be story and any poetry can be not necessarily a, a formula, right? That's the beauty mm-hmm. of writing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, what is it that you love about storytelling and whether it's writing or whether it's telling your kids stories? I know you have you know six children, so I got to believe mm-hmm. there's a lot of stories going on. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What, is, what do you love about that? Man, stories. I feel like stories have always been the things that have had the the deepest impact on me. Um, and I see how how strongly they affect my children, either and it's how they view the world or how they view each other or how they think about themselves. And and you know, as I got older, I started to see just how powerful stories could be, how how people try, you know, people, people trying to gain power, they try and latch onto some kind of a narrative or people trying to sell us stuff. You know, the, the, they're always trying to connect with either our story or connect us to their story. And so as I got older, I started to see, wow, stories are everywhere and they're really powerful. And, um, but that's not why I wanted to tell stories. I just wanted to connect with people. And I think I, I wanted, you know, when we have, I think storytelling is how we relate with people. And so when we have people over for dinner, we sit around telling stories all night. You know, well, what happened? Can you believe this happened to me? Did you hear about, you know, what happened to our friend? Can you believe this is happening? And Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think it's just fundamentally how we connect best with each other as humans through stories. And yes, and and I'm reminded too, as you're talking about sitting around dinner and this kind of thing, it's not only a story about what happened that day, but just reminiscence of, you know, if I'm going to my parents' house tonight and my yeah. adult brother and myself, we're going to talk about memories. Yes. And it's just that connection. Yeah. Yes. And it, and that, the more stories we tell, I think it continues to deepen those connections. I mean, if you look at, I was thinking about this the other day, if you look at the groups of people who connect 
the most intimately. I think those groups ultimately are about sharing stories. So I think of AA, I think about, you know, churches, I think about um, these groups of people who just become really close. Even, you know, even my friends in college spending that time together, what really brought us together was sharing our history, sharing our stories, sharing, you know, the things that we love. And so I think there is something about us as people that just longs for that connection. And I think we feel that connection through stories. Now you mentioned stories at church and, and, you know, your newest book, when the day the angels fell seems to be about faith. And I know one of your past books about, uh, living the books of the book of acts with, uh, Iranian believers. So faith seems to be a thread for you, uh, at least in part, is that where some of this inspiration comes from too, do you think? Yeah, I think I'm, I think especially in my fiction, I'm very interested in exploring, uh, exploring Christianity, but, but at a more fundamental level, not necessarily in an, in an obvious, um, in an obvious way. Um, sort of looking into what what makes us human and how we as humans interact with things like faith. So, you know, faith and doubt um, uh, is something that I explore a lot in fiction. Uh, how we connect with the faith of our childhoods and how that changes or evaporates mm. or strengthens as we get older. Those are things that I really like to explore in, in the realm of story. So, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily classify the things that I write as Christian fiction, but I think because of because of my upbringing and because of my history, uh, there's always going to be sort of a foundation of of God and and the elements of Christianity. Um, you know, the incarnation, death, resurrection, redemption. Those things I think are are really fundamental to the stories that I tell. Mm-hmm, interesting and. And so uh, we know why you love stories, kind of some of that thread. But what's a challenge for storytelling for you, for Sean Smucker? Um, good question. I think that a challenge that I run into sometimes is trying to do too much. The storytellers that I love to read are often complex in the way that they tell their stories. Um, so John Irving, Pat Conroy, David James Duncan their stories are, are tend to be kind of complex and, and those are the stories I emulate, but it's also really challenging to keep everything organized and consistent and, and, um, and clear. So I think that's, that's one of the big challenges for me. So I picture like in, in your writing room, you've got this big wall full of post-it notes or a whiteboard with who's related to whom, where they are in the world, this kind of thing. Is that how you keep it organized or what do you, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I'm getting a little bit better at it. Um, the first books that I submitted to Ravel, The Day the Angels Fell, and then the sequel, which is called The Edge of Over There, one of the first things that my editor came back and requested was a timeline. Mm. And that was not something that I had created. I had just sort of gone with, you know, gone with it in my head. But as I'm working on this next novel, I'm being much more deliberate about organizing things in a way that I can look at, that I can see. Uh, so, so for this novel, I created a spreadsheet and, you know, tried to chart out the various, uh, threads of the story and I'm creating a timeline, just a very straightforward timeline of, you know, including dates. And, and so that's, you know, I think that's me growing a little bit as a writer and realizing maybe where my weaknesses are or see, at least seeing the direction that my stories are going and realizing, okay, if that's the kind of story 
that you want to tell, then this is probably what you're going to need to do in order to, to make that happen and, you know, successfully. Yeah. Now you mentioned Ravel, Sean. So that's the publisher that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Right. So how does a writer go from self-publishing to a, a uh, publisher or how did you do it? Maybe what's at least one, one journey writers can, can think about. Yeah, sure. So, um, I started co-writing and ghostwriting in 2008, uh, and, and have written many books for other people through the years. By the time I came around to about 20, let's see, 2014 is when I self-published The Day the Angels Fell. And then at the end of 2015, uh, a friend of mine said, listen, if you want to co-write, continue co-writing, it would really be helpful if you had an agent. That agent would help you find other work you know, in the industry. They could hopefully point you to, to other projects that you could co-write. And so I thought, mm-hmm. okay, great. So I asked a few of my friends who had agents and was able to find, uh, find someone, Ruth Samsel, who basically took me on just simply to help me find co-writing work. In the meantime, I had decided to write the sequel to The, the Day the Angels Fell. And I thought, okay, well, I have an agent now. I should tell her what I'm up to. And so mm-hmm. I let her know. And she said, oh, well, let me read the first one before you put out the second one, let me read the first one. And she read it and she loved it. And she was like, hold on a second. Stop, stop, stop. I can, I can sell this. Let's shop it around and see what happens. So, so we did that and it took about four or five months. And, uh, by the, let's see, by the middle of, yeah, April, May, June of, of 2017, we had a few publishing houses that were interested and then eventually ended up signing with Ravel. And so um, my editor there, Kelsey, worked with me over the next year. And then we released the book uh, September 5th of 2017. Mm. So, so ghostwriting and co-writing kind of got you into that. So you could be a professional writer and just keep honing that craft, kind of a, like a muscle yes. sort of. Yeah. It, you know, the, the work that I did over the last eight years, especially, I think was, is just invaluable. Um, the number of words that I wrote, the number of books that I wrote, I mean, it really just ingrained me with, with my process for writing books. Everybody's is different, but I think I became very comfortable with the idea of writing a book. It, it wasn't daunting to me at all because I'd done it so many times. And so when it finally came time for me to write my book, um, I think I was able to focus on the quality of it and not become too anxious about just the sheer feat of writing the book like I had done that so many times that it wasn't it wasn't intimidating to me what other ways do you tell stories what other platforms I mean obviously you're a writer an author um, but what other either media do you use or other platforms or other ways do you do you uh, stretch that storyteller's uh, Mm -hmm. muscle of yours something that I'm doing right now is I'm I'm sending out an email so every morning before I start working on the novel that I'm currently working on. Uh, I just write a short reflection. Sometimes it's, it, it's talking about what I'd like to do that day or what I'd like to accomplish that day in the novel. Uh, sometimes I talk about what my emotional mental challenges are in writing that book. Uh, and then I, I email that out actually to, uh, to people who've signed up for the list. So, so every morning, sit down, write about 500 words, just about what I'd like to accomplish that day in the novel. And then I send that out. And it's been a really, it's been really fun exercise for a couple of reasons. One, I think it, it helps me to be more deliberate about the writing that I'm going to do that day to actually sit down 
for 30 minutes, 45 minutes and really think through, okay, what do I need to accomplish today with this novel? Mm-hmm. But, but even more than that, I, I love the connection. So I love knowing that I'm heading into this writing thing and it's not, um, not doing it on my own. I've got all these other people who are waiting, uh, to get this email. Um, and I get a lot of responses back too, which is nice. So, so that's one, that's one way I've been, um, or another platform, I guess. I did a podcast for a little while with uh, Caleb Wild, uh, the author of Confessions of a Funeral Director. Mm-hmm. And um, we did, it was called The Story of My Death. And we basically just interviewed people who had had really powerful um, encounters with, with uh, either loved ones who had died or people they knew who had died. And, and that was... Um, that was really interesting exercise. The whole podcasting thing is, is very different. And, um, so that was, it was fun, but it was also, I mean, you know, it's so time consuming and, and it wasn't something that I could really add onto my plate at that point. So I think we did maybe six or seven episodes and it was, it was really fun. I enjoyed it a lot, but, um, that was just for, for a time. It does take a little bit of work. I mean, I don't, I don't proclaim to be a, a brain surgeon by any means, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it is fun, isn't it though? I, I love, yes, I love doing it now for me, it's an interview thing. So I love hearing mm-hmm. stories and connecting for, for you two. Was it, was it interviews or was it just kind of talking? Oh, so you said you, you interviewed people about yes. their, their death. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, writers, storytellers pull inspiration from, from anywhere. You mentioned earlier, uh, I loved how you said the, the faith of our childhood, you know, others may have a, a muse of some kind, or they have a particular uh, thing they do. They sit down in a specific room and you know, light a candle, play jazz, whatever it is. Do you have an, an inspiration that gets you writing, or um, a, a procedure you follow so that you start to get those creative juices going? I do have a musical playlist uh, that I that I'm list, currently listening to whenever I'm working on this novel uh, on Spotify. It's called In the Beginning, and that's music has always been important to me. In, in the creative process. I love listening to music. I always listen to music when I write. I know a lot of people can't do that. It drives them crazy. But for mm-hmm. me, it's, for me, it sort of helps me enter into that same space every day. It's just another, it's another, it's another habit, I guess, that, that helps me to get back into that state of mind every day. So yeah, I love, I love music. And if you can think about, you mentioned earlier being a, a consumer of stories, what, over your lifetime so far, maybe there's one to come yet, but what's your, so far, your favorite story? <laughs> My favorite story is definitely, um, prayer for Owen Meany by John yeah. Irving. And I think in some ways that story, along with Marilyn Robinson's Gilead encouraged me in the fact that I think it showed me that you can write about issues of faith and religion in a way that doesn't shoehorn you into a particular audience. So those books are very deeply about faith and doubt and God and and yet you know they're very widely read they're you know critically acclaimed and so for me that they were inspiring in that way that it it showed me that you know what I can write about these topics and it, it and it doesn't have to just be for Christian people and so that was yeah so you, you talked a little bit about faith a little bit about your your inspiration does does that rawness that uh authenticity even in fiction that authenticity does it worry you ever that somebody's come back gonna come back to you and say well that's not how it is or i don't believe that or they're gonna you know are are you afraid of the critics i guess not anymore not anymore i think when i first started co-writing for other people 
I was still very much in a phase of, of wanting to please everyone. And I would find myself toning down or adjusting even, you know, the people who I'm writing for, I'm, I'm trying to figure out ways that we can tell their story without upsetting people. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me now, I'm, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't feel that as much. I think the biggest, the biggest hurdle for me is always to make sure that the content that I'm writing, uh, that my publisher will be okay with it. And I try not to think about that while I'm actually writing it, but, um, but yeah, so that's, yeah, I don't, I don't think about it too much. And when you do hear from anybody, uh, I mean, obviously the, the accolades are nice and that feels good. Um, at least I would guess it does. Uh, what do you do when you do hear from somebody in a negative light? Do you just not worry about either of them? Do you have a specific thing that you do to, to, to cope with that? Well, I try and remember that everybody has their own stories that they like. Everybody has their own, um, they're, everybody's sort of at a different place in their journey. And so I try not to take it personally. And I think that's, that's what's kind of helped me through the years to get, to get beyond that concern about criticism is, is just to realize that um, the story that I'm writing is not me. Um, so just because someone didn't like the story doesn't mean that they don't like me or they're angry at me. Maybe they don't like me. Maybe they are angry at me, but, but I don't have to always assume that that's the case. You know, that, that the story is something that I can create. I found a lot, I found a lot of meaning actually in the, in the terms that we use around uh, publishing a book and especially in the idea of releasing a book, you know, a book release party, uh, book release date. And I try and really take that to heart that that's a, at that point I'm releasing this book. So everything that I've done up until that point was about making that book as good as I could make it, making that story as good as I could make it. But when it comes to release day, I just have to let it go. You know, what I've done is what I've done and I have to, I have to release it and uh, really as much as possible, try not to connect with it on an emotional level anymore. It's not always possible, but that's the goal. That's the goal. That's a good goal to have. So Sean, we talked a little bit about your journey to get to, get to a publisher, but whether you're with a publisher or you're self-publishing or whatever you're doing, how would you suggest to writers today or storytellers in general, how do we get our stories out today in kind of a noisy world, kind of a, you know, uh, hyph- uh, not hyphenated, but a fractured attention mm-hmm. world? How do we get our stories out today? I, th- I think an important part of writing and creating today is not to be so concerned about the numbers. So, you know, if you're blogging, not to be obsessed about how many readers you have every day, or if you're doing a podcast, not to let the number of listens either get you down or like, you know, blow you into the stratosphere. Like there's, there's two sides to that. Right. So for me, I think these days creating um, it's really important to find your rhythm, find the things that you're good at, and then to just do them, you know, and to do them again and again and again. I figured that I probably had been writing almost every day for close to 17 years before I got this book deal for The Day the Angels Fell. So, I mean, I journaled religiously from the age of, you know, 20 or so 
And then once I got into blogging, I blogged daily for, you know, five or six years. And I really think it was the, just that consistency and the sheer number of words and the sheer attempts at telling stories um, that eventually led me to write The Day the Angels Fell. So I think, I think it's just so important these days when, when we're surrounded by visions of people being you know, snatched from the masses, American Idol style, and suddenly raised to prominence. We think, well, that must be what it's like. You know, that's how you, that's how you, you reach the life that you've always dreamed of, or that's how, that's what creativity looks like. And and it really doesn't. And so I, I just try and encourage people to, to just create something every day and be consistent. And, um, you know, you don't know where that's going to lead. It may lead to nothing, but, um, I think it's the longer that, the longer that I continue to write, the more I realized that, that the writing was the reward. It was the actual daily work that was the reward. It wasn't, you know, the once a year book release or the once every other year things that happen. It's just that daily work. I kind of hear you saying, take joy in the journey, not the mm-hmm. destination, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's a motorcycle thing for me. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the, yeah. But the writing too. I mean, that's, I, I love to get words onto a, a page or a screen, but I, I love the act of writing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the reading is, is great, but that's, that's good stuff, Sean. Thanks for that. Um, mm. How do you think that social media affects storytelling? You know, social is everywhere. Everybody wants to be on it. Do this, do that. Marketers have ruined uh, social media, of course. Um, as a marketer, I can say that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but how do you think social media has affected the craft itself of storytelling? Well, I think, I think some of it comes back to what we were just talking about. I think with social media, um, everything is instantaneous. You know, I think I read somewhere recently, the lifespan of a tweet is like 27 seconds or something. Um, you know, the lifespan of a Facebook post might be 10 minutes or 12 minutes or whatever. And so I think we start to get this, this sort of ingrained sense that if I put something out there and it's not immediately viral, then I have to move on to the next thing. And it, it sort of inherently makes book writing difficult for people of our generation or for people who are obsessed with social media because book writing is such a long game and you have no idea if, you know, how many people will read it, if anyone's going to read it. And it's hard to commit to a, to a process like that when you could otherwise blog and know that, you know, at least a couple hundred people are going to read this or, uh, you know, put up a Facebook post and immediately get likes. So I think that's the challenge today is to allow ourselves to commit to longer, sort of longer form, longer term investments of our creative time and, and to be okay with things that take years to, to get to fruition. Yeah. So let's talk a little, I'm going to get to to your book a little bit and, and the forthcoming sequel. Um, for those who, you know, maybe haven't heard of Sean Smucker Give us a little snippet of what um, what the day the angels fell looks like. Why you wrote it, maybe um, a little bit about your you know um, Samuel Chambers and what he's going through. Yeah, so the day the angels fell is it's basically a story about the tree of life, and it's also a story about um, our desire as humans to escape death or to cheat death. 
uh, Samuel's mother dies and he becomes determined to bring her back. He becomes obsessed with the idea um, of this tree of life, that he can find it and somehow bring her back to life. And so the story follows him and his friend Abra as they, um, as they embark on this adventure to, uh, to find the tree of life. And the story really came out of a trip that I took for a co-writing job. I ended up in, in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, writing a book for a man who was dying of cancer. And sitting with him every day, every other day, hearing his life story, realizing that, you know, here's a man who's 49 years old, not that much older than me, who will probably not be alive in a couple of months. And he, he did end up passing away about four or five months after the book was out. Um, that had a huge impact on me, you know. Uh, and so I came back from that trip in early 2013. And I was uh, at the same time wanting to write a book for my kids, uh, had been wanting that for a long time and decided to finally go ahead and pull the trigger, spend the time, write, write them a book. Well, it, you know, it's, it's funny. I hadn't necessarily planned on the book being a reflection of, of that trip or the things that I was going through at the time, but it ends up, you know, you have a boy who's wanting to escape death is very much me in that period of my life trying to figure out, you know, how I, how, how I could process this sudden realization of my mortality. And so that's sort of the, the journey that the trip that the book takes. Um, the sequel, the edge of over there comes out July 3rd and it's a, it's more of a continuation of, uh, this, this idea of the tree of life. Um, and it actually follows Abra as she, uh, as she takes over, um, the role of, of trying to destroy the tree. So. Very cool. So it sounds uh, a little adventure, a little deep, a little uh, kind of just, yeah, it just sounds good. Um, would you say that it's, uh, you, you talked about writing uh, a book for your kids. Is Does this kind of satisfy that for you? Yeah, it does. It was, I love, I think Madeline Langle is the one who said it, that, you know, if you set out to write a book and it's going to be too difficult for adults, then you write it for children. And um, for me, that was this book. You know, I'm not even sure if if adults can really talk about death in as productive a way as kids can, because I think kids, when they approach the whole idea of death, they're very open and inquisitive and curious. And I think when we as adults approach death, we we approach it with a lot of denial. Um, and so it it was kind of a way of me writing about something that I think maybe children find it easier to talk about. Very cool. I just, I like, I just, I would start thinking about that, about how, you know, I, I've dealt with death over the years, how my kids understand it. And that, yeah, that gets me thinking. So, um, I won't, I won't stay in my head for very long. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I feel like I'm talking to somebody who has, has made it, you know, several books published working with a publisher now. Um, you know, I, I like I said earlier, I met you through Twitter so I've seen some of that journey, at least from an outsider's perspective. So I feel like I'm talking to uh, an author who's made it. Do you look around at all right now at your life and think, I think I've kind of made it? Of course, without saying I'm done, like this isn't a, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to retire. But do you feel like you've made it as a professional writer? It's really interesting. Someone asked me that question last summer, a few months before the day the angels came out. They, you know, in a little bit of a different form, but they said, do you, fi- do you feel like you've finally arrived? Like this is something that you've wanted for a long time. 
And it, the question is a question that I've actually been pondering probably for the last year or nine months since they asked me because it, it's, it's such a difficult question to answer. I think part of, part of me feels like, yes, I, I have arrived um, or I have made it because I did always want to write books for publishing houses. And I did always want to walk into bookstores and see books with my name on it. So there is part of it there that I would say, yes, I do feel like I have. Uh, but I think a couple of things keep me from, from resting or settling there. Um, partially what you've said about it being a journey and feeling like, you know, every new book that I write just requires everything of me. And so it, I don't think I could ever enter the writing of a book feeling like everything is finished or that I'm in some some kind of a stagnant location. So that makes it hard to, to answer yes. And I think also the publishing world is such a fickle world, you know, and I mean, I'm relatively young. I'm 41 years old. I've got the contracts that I have now have novels coming out, you know, for the next couple of years, but depending on how those do, I may not have a house, a publishing house in a few years. So you just, you just never know. And I, and I think what I want to do is I want to enjoy, uh, I want to try and enjoy these things that I had worked hard for many years to get to. But I also feel like, you know, there's so much more to do and I have, I have so much improvement that, that can be made with me as a writer, I, I, I just have areas that I know I can get better at. And so I'm excited to have those books to, to try these new things out and to, and to really try and improve my craft. Um, and so in that way, I feel like, you know, I guess what, I guess it's, it's a little bit more difficult now because I don't really have something that's out there that I'm trying to get in a way that I did before, you know, before it was always about getting that publishing deal. I want to have a publishing deal, but now that I have that, there's not really anything. Um, there's not really anything like that, that I'm, that, that I'm looking for, um, which I guess in some ways is a relief. You know, I feel like it does give me the freedom to settle into writing these books and to really just focus on that. So I probably didn't answer your question, but um, that's, no, I think you did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I ask it not to put anybody on the spot of like you're done, the journey's over, but right, you know, uh, uh, one of somebody I I talked to at one point said, um, I, I feel like I've made it because I can say no to things, right? Mm-hmm. Or I feel like I've made it because I get a a paycheck for what I do, because you know, mm-hmm. so many of us writers and storytellers we do it because we love it, yeah. and now all of a sudden if you can begin to support yourself or your family, it's like okay, I think I've made it. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm done, but uh, no, I think you answered it very well. I think it, I think it was, um, I think it's interesting because I've been making a living as a writer for eight years. So, you know, I've been, I've been doing that, but most of those books were not my own books. So, you know, now I have books coming out that are my books, but nothing really, nothing else about my life has really changed that much. You know, my finances are basically the same roller coaster they were before. Um, I'm not any more or less well known than I was before. So I guess that's, that's kind of the thing that has, that still has me thinking about that question. Um, have I arrived? 
Um, because if I have arrived, it's at a place that is not that much different than I was before. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, I don't know. It's an interesting question for sure. Yeah. It's, it, and it's cool to hear about the journey that you're on with that. So thank you for, for sharing that with us and our, yeah. me and our listeners. Um, I'm going to get back to something you said uh, that caught my attention. You said that, that writing these, when you have a book that you're writing, you, you give it all of you, so to speak. Um, as, a, as a husband, as a dad to six, um, you have a lot to give that you have to give anyway. Mm. How do you kind of find that harmony between giving all professionally to your story and still having some to give to your family? And how do you fill back up again? Mm. It's always most challenging when I'm in the middle of writing a book. So, you know, I started officially started writing this in the middle of January, early January. And at the current pace I'm on, I'll probably finish the first draft at the end of April. Uh, so when I'm actively writing, especially a novel that I'm, that I feel like I'm really deep into, it is a challenge to be present in the other areas of my life. Uh, my mind is constantly spinning back to the story, constantly spinning back to whatever the current challenges are with the plot or with characters. Um, I wrote in the letter that I sent out yesterday that I know there's something about one of these characters that I'm still not getting something that's really important to the story. And so I'm, I'm always trying to think about this character and what it might be and why I'm not seeing it. And so, you know, it does, it, it certainly does trickle over into, um, into the other areas of my life. But I think when I'm not, and as I write more books, I realize that when I'm not in the active writing mode uh, of putting down the first draft, I need to reinvest in my family as much as possible. Um, now I think I'm, I'm, you know, I, for the most part, I'm pretty good about, I only write for, you know, certain hours during the day. And so it's not that I'm actively working, but it is a challenge mentally to, um, you know, to come and go between real life and, and the novel that I'm working on. So uh, this has been great. I love the insight, Sean. Um, appreciate your time talking a little bit about your, your current books too. Um, I like to to wrap up with kind of that, you know, 60 minutes, big question, you know, Barbara Walters, whatever kind of famous interviews, <laughs> yeah. which I'm not. Um, but that kind of, that kind of philosophical thing. If mm-hmm. if you had the opportunity to only tell one more story and you could no longer be a storyteller by trade, what would that story look like? What would that be? What would that, what would that feel like for you? Hmm. Um, well, I feel like I'm writing that right now. I feel like, um, and this was something I picked up from John Steinbeck's, uh, he has a a book called journal of a novel, which basically where he does what inspired me, uh, he would journal on one, one side of the notebook. And then on the other side of the notebook, he would write a page for East of Eden. And that was how he made his way through that book. Um, on the left, it was a journal entry and, and it was usually written to his editor. Uh, and then on the right hand side was was the story, and something that he writes in there is that uh, he is when he's writing East of Eden, he's approaching it as if it's his last book, uh, and that was really inspiring to me to think about. Okay, what what am I bringing into this story? And so uh, you ask what you know what it would be about, or or what I would bring into it. I think for me, it's um, it's a wrestling with the presence and absence of God. It's, it's, um, I, I just actually tweeted today that I had written a scene in the book 
where the main character as a boy is sitting in a dark living room with his hungover father and trying to have a conversation with him that's just not happening. And as I finished the scene, and I hadn't thought about this at all when I was going into the scene, but as I finished writing it, I realized this was a perfect metaphor for me trying to figure out where is God in so many areas of my life or the world. Um, and why is, you know, why is it so dark and why is it so quiet and why are we not connecting? Um, so for me, I think that that is, um, that's what I would write. It would be a story wrestling with that presence and absence and, uh, you know, feeling like there have been times in my life where God was very evident and my belief in him was, um, was very tangible moving to other times in my life where I can't say those things were necessarily true. So, yeah. And it's kind of where we all are so often throughout mm-hmm. our lives. Right. Great stuff, mm-hmm. Sean, man. I appreciate yeah. taking time today. Yeah. Um, where can folks find you? What's the easiest way to get in touch with you? Um, probably the website, seansmucker.com and, um, Facebook. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Sean Smucker, S H A W N. Uh, I love to hear from people, love to connect about writing. So, uh, yeah. Very cool. Thanks for your time today. Appreciate you sharing your, your story as a storyteller, man. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thank you so much to our guest, Sean Smucker. I so appreciate Sean's time. Be sure to visit him online. As he mentioned, uh, seansmucker.com or on Twitter or on Facebook. I will include those links in the show notes for you. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it all over the place. Tag us, tag me, tag Sean. Uh, you can share it on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, email somebody, text it wherever you can reach new storytellers and share Sean's story, I would appreciate it. Speaking of appreciation, uh, if you like what we're doing here, go ahead and leave us a review. Write out that review for us and leave us a five-star rating. That would be great. Helps us uh, stay up high there in Apple Podcasts. So we appreciate that. Uh, Casterly and Podcast Pilot, thank you so much for supporting the Storytellers Network. Thank you for being an early partner with me. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Jamie J and Sarah Parrish, the rest of the team over there, terrific humans, and you will definitely be better off knowing them. Without their support, the Storytellers Network would be just this dream bouncing around in my big old head. Hey, until next time, here's to telling stories and having stories to tell. Cheers. Cheers.